Now he's in center field. Put me in, coach. And he's ready to play today. <laughs> He's a big boy. So it's going to be, a, as we say in the industry, a high-maintenance physique. Well, I think we've proven that we can out-recency bias any listener by a long shot. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars number 145, where we are surprised to announce the Blue Jays took almost a whole week off from baseball at the end of May. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as usual, by the great Joshua Housem. Josh, how are you doing? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. How of course, you? Of course you're great. Um, you're great to me. <laughs> I'm doing all right, except for this cold that I have in June for some reason. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is back in the big leagues. Uh, we have some more pitching health news, the good kind that is. Um, we have uh, we have Ken Giles to talk about, and mostly his trade value. But it's it is nice to see him out there. Um, Blue Jays don't win a lot of games. I think we're going to talk about that probably first. Uh, Sanchez, Stroman, what's going on with them? And uh, Kevin Biggio, is he the real deal? Are we finding out gradually? We'll have to see. Okay, let's start. The the Blue Jays lost. Not nah, either. Either we just pretend they didn't play six games, or they had a six game losing streak since we last uh, last talked. What do, what do you want to go with? I can't pretend because I was at two of them in Colorado. <laughs> you, you were just in a stadium where Colorado showed up and had batting practice. For <laughs> well, like that's what it felt like in the first one. Three hours, and then you went home and thought, "Man, it's a shame the Blue Jays didn't make the flight." Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Rockies scored 13 runs in the first game that I was at, so it felt like batting practice. Wow. Just wow. It and, was, you know, Edwin Jackson taking them out in Coors Field. That's kind of what you expect to happen. Okay. How is the Edwin Jackson experience slash project, whichever you'd like to call it, um, how is it still a thing? Because there's nobody else. Who else is going to pitch? Even Jacob Weigespach, who had that great debut and looked like he could step into a rotation, maybe at least for a few turns, he's hurt again. <sighs> um, Edwin Jackson is not, I mean, on, on any angle, is not a major league caliber pitcher, even even as a fifth starter fill-in role. It's pretty clear. Is it, I'm sure his ERA is, is well north of nine by now, right? Yeah, I think it went up to 13 or something after his last start. Let me look at it here. It's on on LeFan graphs. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got it. It's 13.22. His he's he's almost caught Sean Reed Foley, who only had one disastrous outing to to accumulate that in. <laughs> yeah, he's got a whip of 2.20, which would be a good ERA. <laughs> his his base runner is inning is where his runs per inning we would want it to be. So he's he's horrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and over and over and over again. And, I mean, that's that's like a lot to do with, with this team in general, is they're horrible in the same ways over and over and over again. Um, they scored as many runs in the, the one win they had against the Yankees, which was last night as we record this, as they did the entire weekend in Colorado. So not only did they get shellacked, in the first game, uh, it really wouldn't have mattered had they had Colorado only scored like two runs in the first game or three. Uh, the Jays probably were not going to hit their way out of a hole of any kind whatsoever. No, I mean, they so you know they were down big early in this game and they tried. They put up a couple runs right away and then Adam Jack is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> this game is not allowed to be close. No. And so, you know, it wasn't because, yeah, they, they put up four in the first, Colorado. The Jays put up two right back in the second. And then Jackson gave up two more in the second and then four more in the third. The other thing <laughs> I find about this team that, uh, you know, obviously some of it is, is the negativity for me leaking in. But it's like, OK, the Blue Jays have a lead, whether it be one run or two runs is never that large. But how many batters or outs does it take for the pitcher to bring the Blue Jays pitcher to bring the tying run to the plate in the following inning. And and they're usually within one batter of the minimum. It, it, yeah, I mean, I think this is a lot more about 
the Blue Jays hitter is never putting up huge innings than it does the pitchers, but neither side has been good. No. And and this is a this is a I knew they would be bad. I did not know they would be this bad type of scenario for me. That's what Ross Atkins said today. Yep. That's really kind of a scary comment from him to make, isn't it? Uh yeah. <laughs> It's it's not really what you want to be hearing. That, that's that's literally I misjudge the overall talent level of the organization that I am in yeah, charge said, of. Yeah, he said we didn't expect this. We thought we'd be in a better spot. Yeah, well, that I mean, so when when you and I sit back in our you know armchair and, and make that misjudgment on op- or a judgment on opening day of what they might be like, we, we try and take into account all of the pieces we can see. You know, but mm-hmm. we, we don't spend hours and hours on it every day, like Mr. Atkins does. And I think even you and I on opening day were like, okay, unless there's some secret sauce that we don't know about, this team is going to have some struggles. Um, he had a lot more information to work with. I mean, he had other people he could have signed or other trades he could have made or things on the on the back burner, and he thought this was the best he could come up with. So... And- to, to give him a little bit of credit when it comes to this, right? If you looked at this Jays team coming into the season, you probably wouldn't have thought that all the starters would be hurt at the same time, maybe at different points over the course of the year. Uh, he probably thought he would have Ryan Tapera. And he also probably thought he would get OPSs above 500 from some of his starters <laughs> that did not, like, Danny Jensen's OPS is 489. Yeah. yeah, Teoscar Hernandez is five sixty two, fix sixty two. Brandon Drury six fifty one. I mean, all these guys, you probably thought you were going to get more from them. Yeah, like I thought they would get more from them. Um, so I guess the the real thing there is is it really as fine a line as we think between winning and losing, or or you know maybe it's a finer line than we think between winning and losing, especially in this division. Not that they've played a lot in this division. Yeah, they just started their first set of 18 games against the Yankees yesterday. Um, I think it is. I mean, I, I think that especially when you're – that that line becomes very fine when you're not a good team, right? Because it's like you have one thing go wrong or two things go wrong, you lose the game. And those things happen tend to go wrong more often when you're not good. So, yeah. I mean, obviously there's still some good things about this team. Like Marcus Stroman has still been excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, they're not... I haven't said they're bad to a man. They're just no. bad when you add them all up, unfortunately. They're, you know, they're, there are four guys hitting above average in the lineup. Justin Smoke continues, as we've said several times, to do pretty much exactly what you you would expect Justin Smoke to trend towards. His, you know, his WRC Plus is up to 132. He's got a dozen home runs. Um, at the third, you know, the one-third point of the season, Justin Smoke has 12 home runs. Hmm, let's multiply. <laughs> Seems about right. He's in the, you know, 30 to 40 home run range. Uh, he's walking a ton still. It's it's all good. But there's not enough there to rescue this lineup. No. No, no. I mean, the team is just... No, I don't think Ross Atkins thought the team was going to be good. I just don't think he thought it was going to be this bad. And I think that that's... Again, I think that's kind of fair. Because there are a lot of players performing a lot worse... Than you'd expect, and nobody really performing better, right? Or not many people. No, no one who can really impact the things. We're going to talk about one guy who is, but Eric Sogard, not with misunderstanding, notwithstanding. Um, okay, so what is the Tay Oscar move about? Yeah, so Jonathan Davis was optioned to AAA, and Tay Oscar Hernandez was recalled, which you know that made sense. He was always going to be back up, but now he's in center field. Put me in, coach. He's ready to play today. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. I really don't get this one. So a week ago, we were told Jonathan Davis was the, the fourth outfielder bench man. Maybe not even a week ago. I feel like we touched on that on the last podcast, that that's how that playing did, time yes. is going to shake out. And then, I mean, okay, so that's not the plan anymore, which is which is fine. But what changed about Teoscar Hernandez that suddenly made him the center fielder? So he was playing center field in Buffalo, and apparently he wasn't doing that badly there. And I should say, like, when we first started talking about Teoscar Hernandez, when the Jays acquired him Mm -hmm. for Francisco Liriano, 
talented yeah, the, outfielder. The, and a guy who could play all three outfield positions. Like, that's what he was supposed to be. Then he got to the big leagues and it didn't like he could play any of them. <laughs> but, you know, playing the corners, if you've always played this played center, is actually a little more difficult because the the reads are different off the bat. But he always still was supposed to be a good defender. So potentially he started to figure something out. I don't know. Center field is still crazy to me. But it's especially crazy to me that it's not Randall Gritchuk. That's the part I don't I don't get. I don't get it either. So we'll leave that there until we see how well or not so no, well. No, no, no. I, I want to talk about this a bit more. Because okay. The reason I said that I don't get it when it comes to Randall Gritchuk is that he was a, a, a zero DRS outfielder in center field this year in 40 games. He was actually minus four in right field. But if you're going to sign him to a five-year, $50 million contract, <laughs> the assumption is that he's your center fielder. Like, that's what I thought. When they, when they signed that deal and Pilar was traded the same day, basically, the, you know, the idea was like, okay, they signed with this deal to be their center fielder. If he's like a 770 to 800 OPS center fielder, that's a good value contract. If he's in right field, he has to hit in order to be worth that and worth the roster spot. And Randall Grichuk is uh, sitting there at uh, 682. Yeah, 686 OPS. Yeah, and, you know, he's for the he's, his on base range is 282. Last year was 301. The, the year before that, 285. The year before that, 289. You know, his power is a bit down this year, so I expect that to, to pick back up. But basically, he has to hit if he's in the corner. And I just don't get why they're not seeing what he could be like as a center fielder for the full year. I didn't get the first part. I don't get the second part, so I'm not going to be able to help you out here. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, so there is good news and in that um, the pitching situation might improve somewhat as we go forward. Uh, one example is uh, Phelps is actually rehabbing. Yeah, so... Anyone who's been watching the Blue Jays bullpen of late, it's basically, you know, it's Ken Giles and Joe Biagini are not bad. And <laughs> well, one of them's good. <laughs> you know, one of, them, one of them's really good. But, you know, Joe Biagini's actually been very solid. I've been very happy with what we've gotten out of him this year. And then no one else is, like, you wouldn't trust anyone else in a, in a close game, let alone one that's, you know, they're actually leading. David Phelps is not that. David Phelps is very, very good, or at least was before his Tommy John surgery. So him coming back is actually pretty big. Um, there were some other pitching updates as well. Uh, I believe Ryan Barucki is throwing again. Yeah, he's still about a month out. That's what uh, Ross Atkins said today. Um, but I just want to just quickly on Phelps too. Like If he can come back and pitch well, he has an option for next season in his contract. That's another trade piece because – quality relievers you can go one to two innings are valuable at the deadline and if they have control they're more valuable naturally you just got to get him back on that mound yeah and he is so just not a major league mound yet one thing at a time uh who else do we have Any... um axford is throwing again he's getting into he's not he hasn't started a rehab assignment yet but he's been taking them on same with same with um clay buckholtz like they're both on their way back, and, and you you would think that if a, a if a reliever is you know going to be decent, you you could prove that you know more or less in a month, right? Not like a starter where you're counting on you know, a dozen appearances to to see what he's really got. You could you're talking about in the minors? Uh, well, no, or, I, or sorry, I, in the majors, like for a trade. Yeah, if you're trying to pump up someone's value and show that they can still do it, you don't need a ton of outings to do that, do you? No, he, I mean, basically, if he comes back and he's throwing hard and getting strikeouts, then it's like, okay, he's back to what we've already seen over the previous years. Right. So both for Phelps and for Axford, I think that applies. So it, it's a matter of, yeah, um, yeah. Once it comes together, either either teams can see it or they can't. You don't you don't need a long um, string of great appearances to prove that although i just want i just wanted to quote lou brown when you said that starting to come together boys <laughs> although if you did want a long string of very good appearances you would have to be looking at ken giles what a star 
Oh, I mean, he, he, he's just dominating. We, don't, we just don't use that word with this team. <laughs> no, I mean, we don't. So Ken Giles has just been absolutely on fire. He struck out the side, and you know he's given some base runners, but three strikeouts in the inning in his last two appearances. He's got 40 strikeouts in 24 innings on the season. That's he, 42% he's only three runs. Rate. Sorry, what was that? 42% strikeout rate. Which is absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's only given yeah, he's only given up three runs. Yeah. He's been in a perfect closer, perfect reliever, and so Craig Kimbrell signed with the Cubs today, and you know that what that does is that takes the best alternative to Ken Giles off the market. Yeah, and and teams are going to be or are already in a position where they need eighth and ninth inning help. Yeah, uh, Ken Giles was going to be in demand anyway, especially pitching like this. But now the fact is, there's no oh we could just go sign Craig Kimbrell to a couple year deal. It's like it's no, it's it's Ken Giles or trading for someone else's reliever who has not been as good as Ken Giles. Yeah, so I, I would not be shocked personally if Ken Giles was gone before the end of June. I yeah I, I wouldn't be shocked either, just because. Because three months of Ken Giles beats the heck out of two months or a month and a half of Ken Giles if you're a team that's trying to contend. Yeah. And then obviously he's got another year of control. But I I, I think that if Ken Giles gets traded and and there's like a a demand for his services, it's like a, a bidding war essentially. They could get a return that would match whatever they could have gotten for Roberto Osuna without a suspension. Yeah. And when you add the two pieces they got for Osuna in addition to Ken Giles last year, it becomes a tremendous trade. Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a good trade when when he was, you know, for a potentially wild card contender team or, you know, um, you know, that kind of long shot team. And it's an even better trade when when if you get real value for it. So kudos to the Blue Jays for I think sometimes we don't give them credit for making a move that did turn out both in the short and, and the medium term. I think Ken Giles, I mean, there's a possibility they don't get anything for Ken Giles. Fair enough. But if they do manage to turn Ken Giles into something else before the end of the season, I think it's it's one of the, the slicker deals that uh, have come with this particular management team. Yeah. I actually think they've done quite well with their trades in general. But that this one would be the big one if it works out the way we're talking about I have another line that says losing, which they did a lot of, but we're going to skip over that. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we did enough of that. (laughs) Um, So Aaron Sanchez, uh, his finger did not fall off during his last start, which I guess is, I think, a big accomplishment lately. Yeah, there's not a lot to say about it specifically, but, you know, considering the recent string, I think that that's enough to say. Yeah. He's he's in one piece, and we didn't hear about you know any major struggles after the game either or anything like that. So um, he's managing it, which is the only way he's going to have any trade value at all is if he continues to manage it, start to start to start, and and not break down. Yeah, we got that question about this last week. Um, you know, like what uh, what to do with Aaron Sanchez, and we said you know we got to see him going into you know like the deadline essentially. So I think what we said or like late June. This was a good outing because, in the sense, he didn't pitch that well, but he didn't pitch horribly either. But going through six innings with no issues, and now if he does this another couple times in a row, then all of a sudden teams might say, "Oh, well, maybe it was just like this nail had to fall off completely, and now it's okay." Uh, which brings us to the other starter who keeps going out there, and and he's far more easy to figure out whether he's building his trade value or not. Is Marcus Stroman? His ERA is under three. Right where yeah, we want. <laughs> I, you know, he he's been excellent. I mean, he got, he got the loss in Chicago, in Colorado because they everybody got the loss in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> but again, he also pitched well. I mean, he I think he went seven innings and gave up three earned runs. Might have been six innings, but he continues to get the job done with his you know with his altered pitch mix this season. And we we talked about how we needed more examples to see how things are working. I mean, in, in, against Colorado, he went more to the sinker because the the way the pitches move there is a little different. But throughout the season, he has stuck with this breaking ball heavy approach. And I, so it's really working. 
which is uh, you know very cool. Again, it, either, you would have to think there's either an extend Strowman or trade Strowman this year move. Yeah, I actually think if he gets traded, he'll be first. He'll be before Giles. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, we should talk about the bats. Uh, there's not a lot here. Um, I would have to say the only thing I, I thought was kind of interesting is um, a lot of guys who have been able to walk in the minors and such have come up and had real problems carrying that to the majors. Uh, Kevin Biggio, he can still, well, he strikes out a ton, but he can also still walk a whole lot. He's he's walked five times in his 31 plate appearances, struck out 10. So, I mean, hey, that's where it's at. Uh, but but he is still showing some discipline for a guy who literally is in his first taste of the big. I mean, this is what Kevin Biggio is. And, you know, we're seeing exactly what the risk was with him as well, right? He's, the walks are good. He's got, I think it's <laughs> five walks in the yep. first nine games. But he's also struck out 10 times. And he's got a 192 batting average. That's what he was in the minors. He's a guy who hit for low, you know, struck out a lot, low batting average with power and walks. So as long as the power starts coming a bit more, then we might have something of value there. If not, then we don't. Yeah. But, but just also Teoscar has a couple doubles in this game, the stolen base. So it's a good, a good return. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's happy to be back. Teoscar. I think that's what that is. He's channeled his happiness into the, into the bat. Like, yeah. you know, like Joe Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get many major league references. So I, I thought I'd throw one in there. So that was the week that was. Uh, we're going to come back with your questions about the week that was. But first, an interview about the big event of the week, the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, Jeffrey Paternostro has a rundown for us of uh, a bunch of the Jays' picks, some names that he found notable, and some uh, uh, thoughts on what they might end up being. We'll be, we, we will be back with him right after this. And we are pleased at Artificial Turf Wars to be joined once again by uh, Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus. Jeff, for our draft coverage, we would like to welcome you back. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, so, uh, the Blue Jays got to pick 11th and uh, 52nd, and then the numbers get ridiculously high. Uh, but we just sort of wanted to start with, a, with an overall thought on maybe the Jays' uh, draft strategy uh, this year, maybe as opposed to, to, uh, to previous years. Uh, I mean, it was pretty, it's one of those things where it's tough to tell sort of the end of the third day because there's nothing really uh, out blandish here one way or the other. It was a fairly standard draft. Like they didn't do anything particularly notable. Like the Mets put all their bonus money in, essentially into the top three picks. Um, the Diamondbacks had seven picks in the first 75. So they did a few different things there. You know, the, the Blue Jays had a fairly standard draft allotment, and they picked generally talent that would go about where you expected them to go. So it's it, not like there's no super angle here or anything like that. Okay, because I remember you know one of my like Anthopoulos's drafts, but people he said if someone could go up to the draft table and punch people in the face, that would be what Anthopoulos is is doing. This is kind of like the the opposite of the splash making here. It's it's a very sort of button down kind of strategy i mean it's not a i don't want to call it button down like they didn't they basically you know you should generally speaking go for best player available in every you shouldn't draft for need or anything like that in the major league baseball draft and you know i i don't know what their individual draft board looked like but i think they did uh you know at least for the first you know, six picks or so, and you start getting into senior signs for money saving and stuff like that. It was a very sort of, they didn't do anything crazy one way or the other. So in, into the specific picks, well, may as well start at the top. Well, what do you think of Alec Manoa? Was that a guy that was a good pick at 11? Yeah, I mean, for where they got him, certainly. Um, you could rank the top four college pitchers in a variety of order. Uh, based on sort of what you wanted to wait. And, and, you know, Manoa has the stuff. He has the frame. He does not have a hugely long track record of throwing strikes, or at least as many strikes as some of the other 
uh, college arms in this draft. But uh, you could certainly say that he has the most upside of that sort of the sort of top four guys, which would include him, Nick Lodolo, uh, George Kirby and Zach Thompson. Um, there's some reliever risk there because of sort of the the delivery and the command profile. He's a big boy. So it's going to be, a, as we say in the industry, a high maintenance physique. <laughs> Is the is sort of the polite way to put it. I mean, he's not fat, like, and he's not unathletic. He's just big, uh, and you know, you sometimes worry about those guys over a full you know, major league season. How does the lower half hold up? Do they, you know, are they, are they dur- like the frame looks like it should be durable, but how sort of the in game and start to start stamina? And that stuff we'll all get a better idea of, you know, over the next year or two when he gets stretched out in the minors. But yeah, for the eleventh overall pick, they got. I you know there are plenty of people who will tell you he was the best arm in the draft. Um, He's again a little bit riskier than the rest of the college arms, so not more so than the than the prep arms. And you know, for a class that was not very deep in pitching at all, uh, especially in college pitching, you know, to get one of these top guys early is a perfectly valid strategy because you're not going to be able to get that kind of arm uh, later on in the draft. That makes sense. And then, then, then you know, obviously, in, in, in last year, for example, they went off the board in the first pick this one sounds like they didn't and then they went with, with kendall williams in the second round which was, which was the prep arm and i think the only prep arm they took in the first 10 rounds or so yep um and you could argue he was the best prep arm in the draft so you could <laughs> argue they got the best college arm and the best prep arm so you know he's going to be in there with quinn Priester, brennan malone daniel espino matt allen but they're all, you know, we had Keanan Lamb, one of our prospect writers in Florida, was down there at the National High School Invitational, and he saw all these uh, top prep arms. And, you know, he thought Williams was certainly in the same class as those guys, even if it might not be number one on his personal prep list. I, I find it kind of funny that both pitchers are listed at 6'6". So the Blue Jays got 13 vertical feet of pitcher in the first two rounds. <laughs> um, you see, like, there's a lot of, it was a, it was a very tall pitcher draft class. Uh, overall, I think, as I was sort of paying attention to various degrees over the last two days, there seemed to be a lot of like six, six to six, eight guys uh, picked. But, you know, there's an advantage to that. You get sort of effective velocity extension it comes from a weird angle. Uh, and like yeah. you said, the, 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 you know, Manoa is a big guy, um, obviously being a, a high schooler, uh, maybe Kendall hasn't filled out yet completely, but they're, they're listed like 70 pounds apart. Kendall's only listed at 190 <laughs> pounds. That that's, that that's quite the profile if you put them side by side. Yeah. So he's probably a little bit bigger than that. Now uh, he's put on some good weight this year, good muscle. You know, he's got a little more fastball now. It's again, he's, when it's coming from six six, or even more than that, with the extension, obviously, you know, it's going to have big plane on it. He's been in the mid nineties. You know, the secondaries are are coming along. It's it's very much the standard second round prep kit where the curveball flash plus, and there's some feel for a change, and then you just sort of see how he develops in the pros from there. But again, an, a, a guy you could argue is the best high school arm in this class. All right, and uh, so, and then the next few picks. There were some obviously some interesting ones. Greg, specifically, I think you had a question about Jason Brown. Uh, yeah. Um, so Blue Jays picked a Canadian in the third round. We didn't hear a lot of about, about Canadians, as as always. So is this a good a strategic play for the player they got? Is it a good PR play for the player they got? Or is it both in this case? So uh, he's not just a like Homer Canada pick is how it was described to me by one scout. <laughs> uh, he's, he's actually really good. I mean, they, they do like to take sort of Canadian preps uh, sort of in this early day two range, historically speaking. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said for having a scouting advantage in that region. You know, there's a lot of teams that don't scout up there extensively in high school. You know, they see these kids maybe at some showcases, you know, maybe sometimes they come down to Florida and you see them against uh, uh, spring training teams getting warmed up or college teams getting warmed up, which isn't necessarily uh, a good way to get an idea of what their sort of talent level is because they're playing way above their heads. Uh, he's a guy that's obviously very fast, can stick up the middle, has more feel to hit than you'd think. Um, really good reports on the makeup, hard worker. Uh, doesn't turn 18 for another few months. You know, these Canadian... High school picks, Canadian prep picks tend to be uh, younger in their draft class, which can be sort of a 
a hidden developmental advantage. There's been a fair amount of uh, analytics research done on that, that, you know, younger prep picks tend to perform better than older prep picks uh, as a class. You know, it's always going to be a case-by-case basis. But yeah, he's not just, you know, know, it's always nice to, you know, the the Braves do this all the time with Atlanta prep arms or Georgia prep arms or Georgia, Toolsy Georgia outfielders. And yeah, there's some PR aspect to it. But again, they're in your backyard. You should be able, you're going to have more looks at this guy. You're going to have more more of a track record with this guy. And, you know, hopefully a better feel for what he can be at higher levels. I have a general question about that. You know, you're talking about seeing these guys a lot. Do you think that occasion that could for, make a team sort of fall more in love with a player and overdraft them? I'm not saying that that's what happened here, but just in general? Sure. Um, I think that's certainly possible if you are just more confident. Now, even at that range, so we're talking about the 88th pick in the draft, everybody on your board is probably going to be have been seen by your area guy, your cross-checker, you know, maybe even uh, somebody a little bit higher up in the front office food chain. So you're going to have multiple looks at these guys. So it's not just, uh, you know, there's less a risk of just seeing a player, you know, once and seeing him show really good or show really bad. But yeah, you can certainly maybe overvalue what you think you know about that player versus a, a player in similar range that maybe you've only seen for that maybe senior year of high school or junior year of college and, you know, sort of play it a little bit safer. Cool. So as the draft continues, we're in day three. So we've seen a a whole lot of picks go by and and a a whole lot of names. Sometimes it's hard for us to pick out uh, who, who we might be hearing more about in the future versus, you know, maybe someone who's harder to sign or, or something like that. Is it, are there other um, names that, you know, come out in the in the you know fourth fifth sixth round for you or beyond or beyond sure yeah uh will robertson is sort of a classic right field profile with you draw power uh you know creighton's you know a medium-sized ncaa division one program so you have to see how sort of the hit tool plays against better pitching how much that power you can get into game but games but i think he was a nice nice value at that pick i think the same is true for uh for Morris and Eden, sort of, you know, up the middle uh, college players. Yeah, neither's probably going to stick at shortstop long term. Eden has a better chance, but both of them are going to be kind of, you know, guys that can hit but have some defensive flexibility. You know, your sort of super utility or, you know, fringe starter types. Uh, Morris is interesting because <laughs> he's a shortstop and he plays a pretty decent one right now, but doesn't actually run well at all which is <laughs> unusual. So he's probably a second baseman long-term. But he's a guy that can really hit. Um, you know, Eden's a little more overall athletic. Um, so he may give you a little more positional flexibility. He's got a big arm, so he could probably play a little third, maybe some corner outfield as well, maybe even a little bit of center. Um, but, you know, by the time you're getting into the fifth and sixth rounds, the actual hit rate for, you know, getting a major leaguer there is not particularly high. Like, it drops off very quickly. You got about a 70% chance in the first round, and then the this slope of the line uh, <laughs> drops off significantly. But, you know, Eden and Morris are both guys that are probably more likely to return some major league value than your average fifth or sixth round pick, even if it's not, you know, slam dunk above average starter upside. Yeah, that's certainly a nice thing. And so, you know, that's the top six rounds of picks. Were there any... You know, people that you saw maybe, you know, in day three that might be tough signs, but that are someone we should try to see if they maybe pull it off. Um, I, I'll start actually uh, put out Trevor Schwecky here. I think it's pronounced Schwecky. I'm just going. To, I'm going with it. <laughs> it I, is I now. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he's a he was a was so Schwecky and uh, Sosa, Gustavo Sosa, the catcher out of. Uh, New York, New York, New York prep catcher uh, were the two guys that were pointed out to me as sort of the good day three gets. I imagine Sosa is probably fairly signable at that point. Um, the track record for prep catchers uh, historically is incredibly bad, um, <laughs> generally speaking. But, you know, it's different when you're picking it in the 19th round versus, you know, picking Kyle Skipworth in the first top half picks. Yeah, the, t- <laughs> the top half of the first. So um, those are the two guys I would uh, keep an eye on. 
I think Schwecky will sign without too much of a problem. You know, Sosa might be a little bit of an overslot guy, but the uh, Blue Jays certainly saved enough money, I would say, in the first uh, first two days with their senior signs and and whatnot. Um, I'm I'm curious about about their 16th round pick, basically because I have no idea how to pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like ja- me, ja- Jack Zero LeBron. Yeah, Jack Zero LeBron, the Puerto Rican. Uh, <laughs> Rican right-hander just like it's it's always fun especially the day three you get all sort of the the interesting names and the Blue Jays did fairly well there and they also took a 280 pounder <laughs> which one is that uh, let's see if I can find his name uh Nick Neal oh, 66285 yeah, high school prep yeah so that's funny prep right fielder yeah he's probably not gonna be a right fielder in the pros I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna guess there prep first baseman DH yeah <laughs> Six six two eighty five high score. Jesus, it's actually funny. I saw. Uh, I don't see a ton of amateur. I live in the Northeast, and it's really you know, I'll see UConn. They usually have a few draftable guys, and some of the other colleges in the area. But I did go down to see Jack Leiter at Del Barton Prep uh, in New Jersey. He didn't end up getting drafted because he was a strong Vanderbilt commit with a high price tag. But they did play a uh, showcase against a uh, uh, Philadelphia Prep school while I was down there. And just like what, like you see these like high school is always fun because you can immediately tell who the good prospects are just by like looking because just like you know your average like five foot eight sophomore kid and then there's like this uh, you know six foot three two hundred pound just like built like a tight end center fielder like oh he's the draft guy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about putting names on the back of the uniforms. Yeah, I can you don't figure have it out. to. Right? That's why it's not that hard to figure out now. <laughs> it's funny. Well, thanks for stopping by. Um, obviously, if people want more of this kind of stuff, they can uh, stop by Baseball Prospectus and, and check you out. Is there anywhere else that they might want to find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. Of course, you can follow BP at Baseball Pro. Uh, if you're a soccer fan, I actually think we do have a couple Toronto Owls, as I recall. Uh, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday supporter, and I'm also on the board for Owls Americas, which is our nationwide uh, supporter group. And we also do a podcast called the Owls Americast, although it's the offseason right now, so we're not going to do much over the summer. All right. Uh So soccer or baseball, he is a true renaissance man. Uh, Jeff Paternostro, thanks once again for coming by. Thanks for having me. And we have returned, uh, much like uh, every other year. I, it should be... Well, okay, the first round pick. We, we might see him within one to two years because he's a, a college pitcher and a top pick. Yeah, it's going to be a while. But, it, I mean, it sounds like the Jays had a pretty good draft. And, you know, considering, you know, they're a real building club and want to be building something that is sustainable, it's obviously a good start. And, you know, last year's draft picks are off to a good start, too. So... That's the best you can hope for, right? Yeah, you're trying to accelerate uh, that process and, and keep things, you know, uh, keep the talent level sort of spread across the organization evenly, where you don't have a whole bunch of guys at different at the at the same level peaking all at the same time, because then you have a bit of a logjam. Um, you want that pipeline going, so we'll see whether this feeds the pipeline over the next year or two. Yeah. All right. Well, we have, of course, questions from the people who listen. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Alrighty. Uh, you start us off tonight. Why not? No, you have to read the first question. Uh, from Ellie Oliver. Yeah. Uh, it says... Uh, long-time listener, third-time questioner, has seeing the prospects come up this year and at the end of last year changed your opinions on any of them? Any dark horse hot takes? So you had to read that because you made Didn't a have an the answer. first time. Yeah. 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 No, I meant the first time that I'll ask the question you thought it was going to be like long-time listener, first-time asker, but... <laughs> so, Al, did this just for you. Um, not really. Uh, in answer to the question, uh, dark horse hot takes. I mean, I guess one would be like Jansen might not be that good. <laughs> mm. uh, Catcher of the future. 
Next. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's just like trained Toronto fan, right? Catcher of the future is a horrible moniker that just gets, destroys everybody who comes to the team. Uh, I, I think he's still going to be fine. <laughs> he doesn't look good right now, but as long as he just starts just getting back to what he was doing in the minors, I don't see any reason he won't hit. So, no, I don't think there's any of these prospects that they have, none of them have come up really to say anything, right? I think maybe Biggio being here already, maybe even ahead of Bo Bichette, was a little bit of a a move that we didn't expect. Though the fact that he hasn't torn up the league says that maybe he was still pretty much what where where we thought he was. Yeah, and Bichette's hurt. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 certainly tough to say. I mean, Vlad obviously is not changing changing anybody's mind he just he just had a home run to put the jays in a, cha- in a position to win two games in a row what okay yeah, first of all you said s- two games in a row that's uh i have to look up how you do that because it's been literally over a month yeah it did not happen in may but they're up <laughs> nine to seven going into the ninth and well actually the bottom of the eighth isn't over yet but you know that the guys that we were supposed to expect something of are looking good sean reed foley's taking the step back, I guess. So that makes it a bit more worrisome, but he was always risky. So I don't think anybody's actually really changed much yet. All right. Let's get to the important question from minor leaguer. That's cruel. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. It's the only important question we've, we've answered on this podcast in months because it's about bunting in the ninth and no hitter. It's obviously <laughs> a burning question. Uh, so thumbs up or thumbs down, first of all, on bunting in the ninth and a no hitter in general. And then, does it matter what the margin of the lead is? Does it matter whether it's a lone pitcher attempting the no-no or whether there were multiple pitchers? Does it matter if it was a perfect game attempt? Okay, so uh, we'll go back over those. For me, uh, bunting in the ninth and a no-hitter. I'm fine with it in general. Especially if they're playing the ridiculous uh, sort of shift against a particular player Okay, that's not in general, though. You're getting into the specifics. Okay, in general, I'm fine with it. Absolutely. You can bunt for a hit. Um, you're trying to get your, your, your team going. Does it matter what the margin of the lead is? I, first of all, I don't think anybody should ever get thrown at or beamed or the benches should clear or anything like that. I think that's just not a, a necessary bit caveat. <laughs> um, it's harder to, to, for me to, if I were in that position to be a player bunting for a hit, if it's a 9 nothing lead. Because I'm literally, I'm not really trying to help my team win. I am trying to save them the embarrassment of a no-hitter, though, which is a thing that I would like to avoid if I'm a hitter. <laughs> and if I think that's the only way I could do it because the guy's throwing absolute gas, I'd probably take a crack at it. Does it matter what's so, a... Uh, Go ahead. Oh, you're just going to take a long time here. <laughs> Does it matter whether it's a lone pitcher attempting the no-no or whether multiple pitchers? No. A no-no is a no-no. Does it matter if it was a perfect game attempt? Also, no. See, I, I don't agree with most of that. Um, You're a pitcher. Of course you don't agree with most of that. <laughs> I think the score matters for sure. I think if it if it's like a, a 2 nothing game or a or three – or this game with the, the, the references was like 6-3 or 8-3 in a no-hitter, which is bizarre. Mm. How do you – how do you – oh, no, no, no. That's not an 8. It's a 0. It was 3 nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I thought it was an 8. 3 um, nothing. I think it's fine. Because that game is still very winnable, right? Right. Um, but if it's a ble- if it's a blowout, I think it's really bush, and I think you shouldn't do it. I mean, you should try to earn your way on a hit. But I, the caveat that you were trying to get to initially, I agree with you. If the team is shifting on you and doing all this stuff, you have the right to bunt against it, right? Because you, you're you know you're you're trying to take advantage of of their failure of their strategy, right? If they thought a no hitter was really important, the third baseman shouldn't be standing in the shortstop spot. Yeah, and the second baseman should be in right field. So I, I, I agree with that. I think if the team is playing you straight up, then bunting to break up a no-hitter or a perfect game just for the purpose of breaking up a no-hitter perfect game is super bush. But if they're shifting you, do what you got to do to get ahead. Yeah. All right. Uh, would you like to uh, fire the next one at me? Sure. This one comes from Heated End at Heated End. Who would make it better up? Ump. Frank Draben from... Uh, Naked Gun or Angel Hernandez? Uh, Frank Drebin, I think, pretty much. Or Enrico Palazzo, famous tenor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Angel Hernandez doesn't know what he's 
out there for anymore and doesn't care and isn't going to change. At least you could probably teach Frank Drebin some basics. He was an ump in the in the series, if you remember. In the in, in the movies with his dramatic strikeout calls. <laughs> Uh, Frank Drebin? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, he, th- when he takes off his mask, that's the Enrico Palazzo reference. He, oh, first sorry, of yes, all, he gets in as the tenor, then he takes off his mask, and they're like, oh my god, it's famous Italian tenor Enrico Palazzo. Anyway. Um, oh, I got you. Everybody yeah, yeah. go back and watch uh, The Naked Gun is what we're saying, really. I think I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is based, I, I assume the question came because of the horrible blow call in Randall Grichuk's at bat in the first game of the Yankees series. He missed a ball that was like middle... A middle of the strike zone and, you know, a good four or five inches above the knees. Yep. And yeah. then Grichuk went deep. Uh, it's tough to get both teams to complain about your umpiring, but I think Angel Hernandez has perfected the art. Yeah. Uh, so you you skipped one here. Aaron uh, Polsky. Polsky 29. No, Why not uh, James Shields? They're in a different order for me, obviously. Um, Weird. Or Polesky. I actually don't know how this is. Sorry, Aaron, if we're pronouncing your name wrong. Polesky. Um, I don't know why not James Shields. To be honest, I don't know why nobody signed James Shields. It's it's potentially he's played so long and he just doesn't want to sign for a non-contender or a team that's not going to pay him because James Shields is better than Edwin Jackson. Um, James Shields is better than a lot of actually guys in the Blue Jays rotation. I mean, last year he had a four and a half ERA, but he threw 204 innings. I mean, if there's anything this team needs, it's someone who could pitch deep in games. And I say, counterpoint, why not Bartolo Colon? Because he's terrible. Yeah, well, that hasn't affected your ability to roll a guy out there already. <laughs> yeah, but see, if, if you're going to get someone <laughs> for the point of actually helping the team, Bartolo Colon is not going to do that. I just want Big Sexy out there. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Explain Teo and center field over Grichuk to me because I just don't get it from split letters. <laughs> I think we established that we don't get it either. Luke. <laughs> yes, congratulations, Luke. Uh, or sorry, Mr. Raptors in seven. Uh, you could we could all just hang out one night and discuss why it doesn't make any sense. Uh, what's our last question? So the last one comes in from Ryan Hanny at Hanny underscore R. Is Sam Gavilio the best Blue Jay? Um, I'm going to have to go with Vlad Guerrero Jr. as the best Blue Jay based on only the last 20 minutes of action. Yeah, and Randall Grichuk also just hit a home run. But, uh, yeah, Sam Gavilio is pretty good, solid, I guess, but not, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry. No. This question came in during this Jays game when he threw two shutout innings and three strikeouts against the Yankees. So a little recency bias there. We, Although I guess our answers had recency bias too. Well, I think we've proven that we can out-recency bias any listener by a long shot. <laughs> Darn right. <laughs> We're professional recency biasers. I like that title. I wonder if that's going to make it the front end of the podcast now that we've said that. <laughs> All right. You control that. <laughs> yeah, funny that. Are you ready to uh, hand out a, a, a uh, but no, we're not handing out anything this week, are we? No, there's nothing we, that was really gold. Could, We've decided that we didn't want to give another do over to the idiots who do pirates broadcasting and reporting, but just they suck and we'll move on. Yeah, because we feel like that would be giving them undue uh, attention that they probably don't deserve. Yeah, racism and yeah. <laughs> we're moving on. And general curmudgeonry. We, yeah. This is a no curmudgeon zone. Uh, all right. Uh, so I, I guess that brings me to the final thought portion of our program, doesn't it? It does. Do you have one for me? I do. Uh, we were going to have the same one. We talked about this off air, so I'm switching mine just to be nice to you. I have trouble thinking, so thank you. <laughs> the... Uh, the Blue Jays gave up two Little League home runs in a week. <laughs> you want an example of how bad things have gotten? That happened twice. And, and it didn't really make headlines. It was just sort of mixed in with all of the other horrific uh, lost stuff that went on. Yeah, the first one, it, it was because Danny Jansen threw a ball into center field and there was no one standing in center field anymore. So D-Man Choi just rounded the bases. Uh, the second one was against the Rockies and I was there for that one. Hooray. <laughs> Mm. Uh, I think this might have been the the straw that broke the Jonathan Davis in the Major League Camel's back. <laughs> that just, was quite the thing. But uh, <laughs> do you want to describe it for us? Yeah, 
he made that amazing catch against Tampa, yes. which he deserved credit for because that was unbelievable. And then against against the Rockies, he he had to play in the early game in the first inning. He dove and missed, turning as you know, allowing a double and run to score. And then later in the game, Rymel Tapia hit a ground ball to the outfield. <laughs> Davis missed the ball. <laughs> he just missed it. And so Tapia ended up trying to go to third instead of a, a single. And then the throw into third went into the dugout. And so he got a little league home run. <sighs> okay, my, my final thought is perhaps uh, a little bit, uh, you know, more uh, positive. Uh, the no, just, just hit another home run, by the way. Brent Drury. So three home runs in the inning. Okay, now go ahead. I'm afraid we cannot end the podcast uh, because this portion of the podcast is is getting people to hit home runs. So we're just going to. Just record for the yeah. rest of the season. I'm just, I'm not gonna. So, folks, if this if this shows up as a very large file when you download it, <laughs> where it's a good, there's a very good reason for that. Um, anyway, uh, the Jays made another draft pick, uh, which we did not discuss, which was in uh, in the 32nd round. Uh, they drafted uh, Blue Jays legend Roy Halladay's son, Braden Halladay. Um, which of course thirty second thirty two was the number uh, holiday war with the Blue Jays, so that's the connection there. Um, they knew that he was already committed to college, um, but they signed him as a, 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 a high school player uh, just to you show. Him. Sorry, they they drafted him rather not signed him. They drafted him as a high school player to uh, just sort of reaffirm the family's connection to the organization. I think that was a really classy move, um, really nice thing for them to do. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it was a wasted pick in a sense, but it's the thirty-second round. So who gives a crap? Well, yeah, I mean, not not much comes out of the thirty-second round uh, very often. Um, so if, if you know, a, a lot of things happen down at the bottom end of the draft. I, I, again, the thirty, the symbolism of the thirty-two was kind of cool. And and uh, Braden tweeted out that it was with the mutual understanding of the organization that he was not to sign that he was going to go to college. So um, good that's, luck at him, maybe. Cool. Maybe, you know, three years from now, we'll be hearing about which round uh, they pick him in, depending on whether he's, uh, you know, he's developed the tools over that time to uh, to move up in the draft. Yeah. So, there we are. Uh, quickly, you can slide on over to www.patreon.com slash turfpod if you're interested in supporting the podcast. Or, if you want to leave us a review, you can uh, hang out at... Uh, Apple Podcasts, which is what they're calling it now, apparently. Um, and uh, we always appreciate uh, a rating or a review over there. That said, uh, you have been uh, Joshua Hausam at Joshua Hausam, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And our guest was uh, Jeffrey Paternostro at Jeff Paternostro. And uh, this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 145. And we'll talk at you next week. Bye.